everyone, and welcome to this week's On the Spot. I'm Zach Strickland here with, as usual, John Paul Hampstead, our Director of Passport Research at Freight Waves. And, you know, we haven't been here in a few weeks, JP. Uh, right. Things have I know this may be shocking, but things have changed yet again. What? <laughs> yeah. In uh, trucking markets? Yeah, the trucking markets, of course, changed. The world has changed uh, again. Hopefully, everybody had a good July 4th weekend. But, you know, you guys, you, you lead up a group of the Passport Research Team, and they yeah. do some pretty interesting stuff. Like, what, what are some of the more interesting things that you guys have come across here in the last couple of weeks that you could bring some attention to that I think will help people understand more about, you know, what the market's doing, how it's interacting with other pieces. Uh, what, what are some of the stats that you guys are looking at? Um, I think the first thing to talk about, so I want to talk about two things really quick. One is some work that we did looking at June and really trying to figure out if it diverged from previous years and by how much. And then the second thing I want to talk about what's happening now, specifically um, in Dallas and a couple other cities and what that might mean for going forward. But. Um, you know, one of the things that you know, we engaged in a lot of discussion with uh, Passport clients, we talked to analysts and operators on social media and things like that, just trying to um, continually sync up our view with the fundamental like, kind of market dynamics, right? Um, and we noticed that a lot of people in, in the lead up to the July 4th holiday, we're kind of saying that, okay, we expect rates to go up into the holiday, that's normal. We expect capacity to tighten going through the holiday, that's, that's normal, you know. When you seasonally adjust everything out, uh, nothing is really going on, right? It's, it's kind of the, the message that um, a lot of people told, but that, that wasn't really, you know, that, that didn't jive with me just from my conversations with brokers. When I, when I hear a broker tell me that he lost $3,200 on a single load. I'm like, that's yeah. not that's that's not normal seasonality. <laughs> he doesn't he doesn't think that's normal. He doesn't plan for that because he would, of course, uh, you know, nobody's going to lose that kind of money without extreme volatility. No one's going to lose <laughs> that kind of money on purpose. Yeah, no. no one plans to lose that kind of money <laughs> right. every year, right? Um, so extreme unexpected volatility. And seasonality is typically expected volatility. Correct. And so we went back and looked at the data, and it turned out that no, um, you know, the DAT national average for line haul dry vans um, tends to peak in the summer, in the first two weeks of June, and then go down into the holiday. Mm -hmm. And so even leading, you know, we talked a lot about how we didn't know what the market was going to look at, uh, look like after July 4th, but even before that, it had already diverged significantly from previous years. Um, tenor rejections were much higher. Rates were even higher than um, in June of 2017. Yep. Um, so that's like, we're seeing a lot of signals showing that, you know, regardless of whether we go up from here or we stay at the same levels, we're already at a pretty inflationary stage compared to um, the previous couple of years. So that's, that's the first thing that we really looked at is that like, yeah, June was was a pretty wild month. It wasn't it wasn't like, you know, I think we even talked about it briefly here. And then on freight forecasting with Mike Vincent, we had a discussion about through the first couple of weeks of June, it looked like we've returned to seasonality. All that appeared to be actually looking back now was really just where it kind of just passed over yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the seasonality as it was as it was recovering because again we were in this recovery process volumes were still coming up uh, you know and basically it looked like oh here we are just hovering around what we would 
potentially normally see, which is about a 5 to 10% increase in volumes, rejection rates had not expanded uh, dramatically until halfway through June. Right. We were still sitting around 6 7% outbound tender rejection rate about June 14th, and now we're sitting up above 15%, you know, and apparently it's still starting to rise, but we'll get into that in a minute. Yeah, <laughs> and just the other, the other thing that we, we worked on this week, um, really looking really closely at um, temperature-controlled transportation markets, reefer markets, right? Um, one of the th we do this every month. Um, one of our clients requested that we cover uh, reefer markets, so we do that for them, and of course all of our clients get the benefit of that. But um, we're also looking at it closely because if you remember, reefer volumes led the initial COVID surge in March, right? It was um, a lot of short haul or city length of haul reefer volumes consistent with the replenishment of grocery store inventories that, you know, that was a contributor. Like, right. like it, we saw it across drive-in, we saw it for, for um, you know, long haul as well as short haul, but the most upwardly volatile was certainly short haul reefer. Um, and so we, what we were looking at is like, okay, we know that there's a second wave of COVID infections right now. We know that we're getting a record number of COVID infections and that um, positive test rates are rising, right? Mainly um, across the Sun Belt region, which is like yeah. Arizona, Texas, Florida. Los Angeles as well. Actually. Los Angeles. Fact, uh, um, so we looked at Los Angeles, Phoenix, Dallas, Houston, Atlanta, and Miami. Um, which all have pretty bad COVID problems right now. And we're looking for evidence that um, reefer volumes in those markets are elevated and that capacity is tighter than normal. And that certainly seems to be the case in Dallas, where um, you know in Dallas County, co uh, daily COVID infections have been over 1,000 for about a week. Um, and that's started to significantly affect, you know, and so the, the governor of, of Texas, you know, closed the bars, limited the restaurants to 50% capacity. That's caused a surge in consumer food buying again. Right. And because everybody's concerned that, again, they'll have to go back into their houses. There could be the risk of a shutdown yet again, right. uh, etc. Right. And so um, we actually view the, and, and, and reefer volumes are way above normal comparable to the, the, mar the March levels, right? And so we're worried that that could um, signal what's gonna happen in other Sunbelt metropolitan areas, like the ones we just named, and that it could be a negative uh, signal for economic activity in other, other sectors if people do in fact have to self-isolate again in their homes. Um, so that's, that's something we're keeping our eye on, just that, you know, if the, what's happening in Dallas gets replicated across the South, that's, other cities. That's, a, that's a pretty bad sign. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, it will be, it'll be interesting to watch because whereas in March, it was kind of nationwide, the shutdown. Now we're watching uh, the potential shutdown, you know, in specific cities uh, because obviously it's very difficult for uh, companies to open, uh, you know, close, reopen, then close again. That's not a. That's a very difficult process to manage. We're already hearing stories of carriers having a lot of difficulty managing the variation between states right. uh, on how their operations are varying significantly. So they'll go to one uh, shipper slash consignee uh, that they're you know they're expecting a 30, 40 minute wait time, you know unload time, whatever whatever they're doing there, and 
some of those are taking longer than expected, and, and some of them are just not open. They're not as they're not as active. They're not available. Right. So it's causing a lot of disruption to carrier networks out there, which again we expect to manifest in a lot of these tender rejection rates here in the month of July, especially now that you know we necessarily don't have to have another shutdown for it to be disruptive to the market. Kind of like we're seeing now. another another um, example of the kind of state-specific disruption to logistics operations that's happening because of COVID is. Um, Governor uh, Meg Widmer of Michigan just um, released this executive order requiring all meat plants in the state to reconfigure their operations so that every worker is at least six feet away from every other worker. Now, if you've ever been in a meat plant, I mean, the the, the way that the lines are, are set up, it's pretty much elbow to elbow. You can't, you can't, and that's, and that's, and that's the problem here is that you can't change your infrastructure that's been built on this, like these are factories, these are plants. They can't have mechanical engineers write up plans, build up that plant a certain way, and then change it overnight. Right. That's not how it works. They either have to you know, figure out a way to work within the infrastructure, the existing infrastructure in this manner, or shut down. <laughs> yeah, or I mean, th there there are a number of plants in the Midwest, um, especially in Iowa and Minnesota that had opened up with limited operations. A lot of times it just means running, you know, it's it basically you take out every other worker, right? Yeah. And then you run the line at half speed. As, as and a, that would be an example of operating as, within the confines of the existing infrastructure. Right, right, right. And so that's a lot of kind of what they what they're, what they're trying to get away with and what they're trying to, how they're trying to interpret these rules. But even that, um, I mean, just, you know, it's then you what you what you have is you have plants that maybe they're they run an extra shift. Mm -hmm. Right, and so they're open later. So all of your appointment schedules, and the way that that network works is completely changed. Um, the way that you're going to have to clean your trailer in the middle of the night or something like that is is, is very different. Oh um, yeah, the pickup times. Now you have different windows for picking up versus you know also right. delivery. Yeah, and so like you know even just the attempts to keep these plants operating safely is is very confusing. And this is. Again, this is one state. This isn't Wisconsin, it's right. not Indiana, it's just Michigan. <laughs> exactly. And so it's, it's, again, it, it's another example of how we could, and I, I expect that we'll probably see more of these types of orders. Um, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know where or when they'll come from, but it's certainly not you know, the last we're gonna hear about things like this. So that, that's just another example of the kind of um, confusion that this sort of decentralized and uncoordinated response to the virus has caused in supply chains. Yeah, we've really not seen a very consistent message to this point on how to handle it. We haven't seen a lot of consistent policies because each area of the country obviously is having its own exposure levels, its own uh, you know caseloads, et cetera. Its own population densities, yeah. its own vulnerable populations, its own geography. And you, like, and you shouldn't apply the same methodology to New York City that you would apply to Southern Alabama. Right. It doesn't make any sense. Right. Different risk factors with regard to public transportation, et cetera, et cetera. So it's like, um, you know, the fact that there are state and local policies, it does make sense, but it, it makes it difficult for um, national transportation providers. Operators. And we're, we should talk about, though, markets now and what yeah. we're seeing now, right? Um, which essentially is that capacity remains tight. Uh, a week after the holiday, um, tender rejections are still elevated above 15%. In fact, they went up on um, Wednesday um, or Thursday, actually. Yeah. Um, 
So, and, we and the, I, I think the the important thing here is that we're now, you know, like we were, you were mentioning earlier about how we've diverged from seasonality. We were kind of waiting to see. Okay, so tender rejection rates increased into the holiday and now they were coming back down but then all of a sudden yesterday a few days ago they stalled out again and now they're moving back up which that is an extreme anomaly in terms of diverging from what we would traditionally see seasonally and this is supported by um, very robust volumes um, so they came down a little bit after the holiday but the, where they're settling in is unusually high. Yeah. Um, so it's not just a question of are the trucks in the right spot or, or, or are there too few trucks. It's also being driven by high levels of freight volumes. And, and I looked at this yesterday on uh, Freight Waves Now and the reefer rejection rates are driving a lot of this. Uh, reefer capacity appears to be tightening like you were mentioning with Dallas. Uh, it does appear to be in the northeast as well. The northeast has been one of the more stable environments for reefer carriers in the last month. Interesting. And now that's starting to pick back up. Their rejection rates are now increasing again. Again, during produce season, you have a pretty consistent flow of freight coming from the west coast to the northeast for reefer carriers and reefer activity because you have produce and all this stuff coming across the country, uh, and that oversupplies the market. And the northeast is traditionally kind of a low rejection rate area. Right, and they're principle. not, and you know, in April and May isn't a harvest season in right. the, in New England. No. And, and so a lot of those carriers will also just try to reposition their trucks out west. Well, now we have an increase of short-haul reefer freight in the northeast, and they're trying to get back out west. <laughs> yeah. And, and, or, you know, down south or somewhere where they can haul long-haul freight for 10x margin. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, right. that's, and that's creating, it's starting to show up in the northeast. So anybody operating up there, you know, and it has customers up there, definitely need to be on the lookout this week for that. That's interesting. So it's... <laughs> The, again, you know, it's, it just seems like um, I, I think there are really two things going on in the market. One is is the, the COVID-related disruptions are continuing to evolve in surprising ways. I mean, it, and I say surprising. I mean, they all make sense in retrospect, but it's it's very difficult to predict. Exactly. No one's predict. No one can predict the course of the virus. No one can predict the policy response, which is derivative of that, and no one can predict. Uh, business and consumer response, which is derivative of that. So um, it all makes sense in retrospect, but it continues to evolve in surprising ways. It, it means that transportation providers have to talk very closely to their customers, their carrier partners, et cetera, on a weekly, if not daily basis. Exactly. Um, the other thing is, is that we also believe that trucking capacity is meaningfully diminished from the prior two years. Um, and that's just making the market more sensitive in general as well. So it's it's COVID disruptions and a, a, a market that's on more of a hair trigger than perhaps it was last year. Yeah, there's a lot of volatility for sure. Well, that'll do it for this week's On the Spot. Uh, thank you for watching and thank you, JP, for joining me this week. And be sure to check out FreightWaves.com for any future freight market updates. Have a great week.